0: Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, February 4th, 2024. We've got another great show for you this week. We'll be joined by the Legal Eagles, David Levine and Kevin Walsh of Groom Law Group. And then Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network will be popping by the program to help break down and provide analysis around this week in the market. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick things off with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill. Joining us on the line, David Levine and Kevin Walsh, both are principals with Groom Law Group. There, that's an employee benefits law firm based in Washington D.C., and we affectionately call them the Legal Eagles. Eagles, so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: Jeff, thanks for having us on. And you know, with uh, with Groundhog Day having just occurred, uh, we hope that. Winter is wrapping up for everybody, whether you're out in California with lots of rain or in the Northeast where we got a little bit of snow and maybe you could get a little bit more in the uh, in the next couple of weeks.
0: Well, here, here to that, I love an early spring, David. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about portability, auto portability. Department of Labor released some new regulations, but before we get into that, could you just define what auto port- for our audience what auto portability is?
2: absolutely and and i want to you know pick up from my friend mr walsh's introduction to say it is not just about the coast portability applies everywhere chicago the south the midwest so to be inclusive of all of our listeners but portability um <laughs> is a I mean, I, sorry i Canada, can't let that stand you, you right, forgot you
1: forgot the mountains david i mean what are you are you not are you not you know Letting our folks in the you know the, the Rockies and the Appalachians know that, that auto portability is there for them as well.
2: I love the mountains and it's there for all Americans. OK, so with so what does portability <laughs> mean, Jeff, to get back to your question? Um, the portability is the, the concept is sim- simple. We don't live in an America anymore where most people stay in the same job for their entire careers. It's the exception, not the rule anymore. They, they switch employers all the time. It's very, very common. And what happens is, especially in a day, in an era of auto-enrollment and auto-participation in plans, you see more and more situations where people will go from one employer to the next, and they will wind up having 401ks or other retirement plans at each employer. And sometimes they move them around. Sometimes they move them to IRAs, different discussion another day. But the key is, there's a concern about A, Missing participants, about people basically losing track of things. B, there's also just people being able to understand their financial picture. And C, it just causes potential confusion in some cases if people have lots of small IRAs all over. And as most of the listeners know, in a retirement plan, and most of them do this, you can require that small benefits be cashed out. The limit used to be $5,000 and now it's $7,000. So if your benefit is, quote, small, and it's under those thresholds, a plan can provide, it gets just paid out to you unless you roll it over. That means money can be leaked out of the system, the awful word that we use in retirement, leakage. Mm-hmm. What portability is about is saying, you know what, when people have benefits, and, and this is portability today, when, when you have benefits under these cash-out limits, that would be cash out and just lost to the retirement system, probably paid out in cash in a lot of cases, isn't there a better way? And what portability is about is moving money from one plan to your next employer's plan so that it all kind of pools together and gets collected. So why, why are we going down that, that discussion? Because several years ago, a company named Retirement Clearinghouse got an exemption from the Department of Labor that allowed portability of accounts from one plan through retirement, clearinghouse and IRAs to another plan. And that was groundbreaking. Now Congress uh, in in its recent secure legislation has effectively changed the world to make it. So there's sort of a framework for portability, not just the exemption. And the department of labor was asked to put out regulations and guidance on the secure provision. And they have. And this this guidance, and I'm not going to walk in the weeds because A, will probably bore people on a Sunday morning and B, uh, it gets really weedy, is designed to facilitate people doing this, whether through the RCH solution or others. But the answer is there's a whole thing. And a num- and to car- close it out, a number of record keepers have already st- started impl- implementing this. Uh, it, there's, there's a portability network that a number of large record keepers are part of. They're And they're starting to roll this out as an option available to their clients to say, look, do you want auto portability? Do you want cash outs? And it's another error to prevent leakage from retirement plans. So it's a real possibility. And in fact, DOL officials have been out publicly saying how this is a real benefit to keep money in the system. So that's the basic overview of this. You're going to be hearing more as a plan sponsor coming soon, depending on who your record keeper is. It's going to be a little different in each scenario, but and if you're a service provider or an advisor, it's important to think how do you counsel your clients. But that's where we are, Kevin. I'm sure you have more to add, or Jeff. I'm sure you may have something. But well, well.
0: yeah, yeah. Let me just tee it up for you, Kevin, because uh, I, you know my mind. I think David did an excellent job in in describing this process. But in my mind, in an era of portab- of uh, auto everything in our plans, this just makes sense. And I know you're a big advocate for finding missing participants. I, I can't see where this. Doesn't make sense if you're a plan sponsor uh, or a record keeper to help facilitate this.
1: So, Jeff, you're keying in on you know one of my core issues, and you know my practice involves a lot of defending investigations, and some of those investigations relate to missing participants. And this is another example where you know progress on the legislative front could make the lives easier for participants and for plan sponsors because uh, this is just another framework where you know your money can follow you instead of somebody having to you know go and find you later or you having to remember where your money is. Um, if your money follows you to your last employer, uh, the retirement system is going to work a lot more smoothly.
0: Yeah, I, I, it just makes a lot of sense. And and for David, again, made a good point about how people are just moving around. Uh, the generations that are following ours, they're going to have multiple jobs, maybe dozens of of jobs. So, so uh, let me go back to you, um, David. Uh, the regulations, I guess, proposed regulations came out where do we stand, and what has to happen to get this kind of finalized? And and will others? You you, you talk about a consor—I'm going to call it a consortium of record keepers. Will others jump on the bandwagon now and and potentially join that consortium, knowing that there's an apparatus in place, it's finally "quote unquote" approved and uh, has regs behind it.
2: Sure. Well, a couple pieces. To get the actual, remember retirement clearinghouse has its exemption. It has a limited window, but the DOL has put out its proposed regulations. Obviously, these need to be finalized. So that's the standard process that listeners have heard from Kevin and me many times about the regulatory process. But people are moving forward. Uh, I think you will see whether it's through the existing portability framework or others. There's people who've done announcements about others, but the but the core one right now seems to be getting the most attention and getting the most adoption. Um, So you may see more record keepers during that. You'll see different solutions. The key here is there's no one required approach, but there's certain, but the one that's powered by RCH seems to be the, is the, not seems, is the dominant one at this point. So the next question is, uh, will there be more? Like some companies have, have announced the, I, I believe the former, They they just rebranded, so I apologize on their name. The former Millennium Trust, for Mm -hmm. instance, announced one. So you're going to see other players, uh, you know, maybe coming into this market. Maybe they all come together. We'll have to see where it lands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a, a, you know, I don't want to be over over the top. I think it's groundbreaking in the sense that now we have something um, auto on the back end of a plan, so people don't get lost. And I think Kevin's probably going to not lose sleep over this now because it prevents. In, in a lot of ways missing participants gentlemen we're going to have to leave it there great to see you or hear you as always I can't see you but uh, great to talk to you thanks so much for joining us we look forward to having you back on the program again next week
1: thank you for having us on Jeff and thank you listeners
0: goodbye okay, gentlemen we- have a good weekend imagine a new television network that will make you richer To the next frontier of retirement and savings, this is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Welcome back. Now time to break down markets. It's been a very interesting week. Here to do it, he's a lead anchor for the Schwab Network, Oliver Renick. Oliver, always great to have you pop by the program.
3: Absolutely, Jeff. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, and and I just want to tee this up for everybody. Oliver, during during his week, he's doing what? Two shows, right? Are you two, show, two in the morning and in the evening? Two the, shows, right? So you yes, you kind of book bookend the uh, the coverage for the extra network. long show for Apple
3: earnings this week because they come out like. They, they come an out
0: extra half hour. Uh, extra ha- okay, so we appreciate Oliver spending a few minutes with us. All right, Oliver, let's. Uh, <clears throat> I want to get the earnings in a minute, but let's talk about the week that was. Let's start with uh, Jerome Powell's comments. Um, okay. Very measured. So, give us your reaction to possibly taking rate cuts off the table for March.
3: Yeah, that was the big thing in his commentary. Is that he got probably the most specific I've really heard him in a long time when he said that March is not their base case. They do see themselves cutting this year, but that it's not likely to happen in March. He made that clear after intimating for like the previous 40 minutes that that would be the case. And then it seemed like he finally just got enough questions about it that he said, look, it's not our base case. So that was a very explicit message of the market. And the market, at first, had been ignoring his intimations. Bonds were rallying. The dollar was fairly soft. And then he said that, taking March off. And then bonds sold off, yields rose, the dollar rose. And it looked like the market was going to hear him out and take him seriously. But then by the end of the day, on Wednesday, bonds ended at the highs, yields at the lows, Rally bonds into the close, the dollar was off the high, and it was like he was totally ignored. And that was probably one of the more surprising things in a week that was full of surprises. Um, to some extent, the bond market has been so persistent in forcing that March timing that I guess maybe it shouldn't have been a big surprise that the market ignored his language, but I think it was because earlier in the week, And that day, we had renewed concerns around regional banks with a uh, pretty big miss and structural development at New York Community Bank, which is now a much bigger bank after acquiring assets that basically said they needed to set a lot more aside for potential risk uh, and that they see problems in offices and commercial real estate. So that was kind of a surprise that really nobody had on their calendar for this week that seemed to be driving the bond market's insistence for a March cut. So you could have sort of justified the bond market move around Powell as saying, well, bonds don't believe him because they think there's going to be another uh, regional bank crisis. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation is that the bond market's super convinced that the next two inflation prints will be low enough for Powell to cut in March. And that's certainly another reasonable explanation – But then Friday comes around with employment just a miracle-type number. And uh, now we end the week with bonds selling basically everything back off almost. So bond market's a total mess right now and probably would do better to just take Jerome Powell at face value than trying to keep reading in between the lines about the economy or jobs or banks because all the data in employment – rock solid and the other data that had been very weak for a long time particularly in manufacturing also surprised the upside this week so the bond market was the messiest around powell but ended with a much lower chance of a march cut than it had at any point in the last few months we're at about like 15 percent chance of that happening so that's the first part of the week around powell and bonds
0: all right, let's uh let's talk about earnings because <clears throat> I think you intimated this in your conver- in your uh, initial uh, points is that this was a big week for earnings in fact you had to work a little bit later than uh, you normally would you had extended programming for the Apple earnings so let's talk about those tech earnings okay. and and uh, you know besides the fact that they kept you out a little bit later than you'd like to be or uh, you enjoy it so it's not really it's not really this is not work for you but l- uh, you know, you get paid, but oh, it's yeah. not—it's—it's it's not really work in the sense that you enjoy it. But Oliver, uh, let's talk about <laughs> these tech earnings. How did our the Magnificent Seven do uh, during um, during the week in terms of their earnings? Pretty magnificent. Um, it was
3: my framework coming into this week, as I wrote in our newsletter, that tech would trump the Fed this week, and generally speaking, it did. We'll see how we close out on Friday, but the massive rally in Meta, the big pop in Amazon, the stability in Microsoft, and the fact that even though Apple sold off, the numbers really weren't alarming in any way. It was just a really clean, impressive week for these companies. Uh, You have to remember that outside of NVIDIA, valuations have risen across the board, so the bar was not low here. Meta in particular shined because They've embarked on this year of efficiency that has been kind of the baseline comparable from which to measure everything in earnings season, which is how much have you cleaned up margins, how much have you improved profits, how much have you done right by shareholders. That's been the whole theme of earnings now for a couple quarters, and Meta really kicked it off a year ago or so, and the fruits of that labor. Paid off incredibly. It's the first major mega cap outside of Apple to issue a dividend. And its numbers were really impressive. Uh, Everything just continues to hit across the board. Amazon, surprised on their operating margins. They've uh, reduced a little bit of their expenses tied to the supply chain and logistics. And, you know, Microsoft is just a stable beast and apple is being dragged by china but being supported by a very resilient consumer who bought more iphones than expected and apple returned to growth for the top line for the first time in five quarters so there wasn't really much to dislike in earnings and so our indexes continued to skew towards big tech and big tech's in a world of its own and Even though valuations have risen, when you're putting out earnings like this and improving your margins, a debate about whether or not the Fed's going to cut in March or May or June is not really relevant to those companies. But it is relevant for other areas of the market, best embodied by the Russell 2000 small caps, where there's a lot of debt and there's a lot of interest rate sensitive corporate activity. So the market remains divided, basically.
0: Oliver uh, let's let's end um, with a conversation about the consumer and uh, you know consumer sentiment I think ticked up but you yep. know I I wonder just knowing what I know of credit card balances and debt um, is it mixed is it you know you can be bullish look you can see the market just going out of control with the exception of one trading day this week I think when the you know pal made a statement that things were in the the dumper. But the consumer has been very bullish, and uh, it, it's ticked up significantly. How sustainable mm-hmm. is this consumer spending? You mentioned the Apple iPhones that some people bought, the new – what is it, the iPhone 16? Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. Something like that, yeah. I mean how, how much different are they? But anyway, that's a whole different story. But how, how dependable is this consumer uh, through Q1 into – through, and through Q4 of 2024.
3: Well, that's the power of the jobs report. That's why it underpinned everything. Is because as long as people are getting paid and have jobs, they can stretch that credit card. I mean, it can keep rolling over. It can keep going. It can pay their student loans. It can get jobs. Nine million jobs and jolts. You know, as long as that doesn't break, then we're going to be okay. So you know, there's just not any sign of that breaking. Now, is it going to be as floppy as it was when they were getting money dumped on them by the government? Or if the fed were, you know, slashing rates down to, you know, uh, create the housing boom to boom even more. I mean, like sure. Could things be better? Yeah. Things have marginally worsened off their peak, but the peak was so, so high in everything. Um, in the wake of all the COVID stimulus that all our nominal, all our absolute levels of everything are historically very stable uh, and impressive. I mean, unemployment basically speaks volumes still at, you know, three six, three seven. So even though it's up off the lows, that still is a great number.
0: Yeah. Well, it, look, it was an amazing week, no doubt about it. Uh, market all-time highs – I guess we'll have to wait and see kind of how it all plugs in. Oliver Rennick, always great to talk to you. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter of the Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? Well, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.